Welcome to Herb W. Morgan's Slaying Bulls and Bears, a podcast about economics, markets, investing, politics, and profit. Every Monday, in less than 20 minutes, Wall Street portfolio manager Herb W. Morgan distills the complex and complicated into the simple and sensical. Here's Herb now. It's Monday, March 28th, 2022. I'm Herb Morgan, Senior Managing Director, Chief Investment Officer here at Efficient Market Advisors. This is my weekly market and economic commentary. Um, you can follow me intra-week on LinkedIn or on Twitter as well. Of course, this is available both by subscription with the graphs and slides and charts or by audio podcast. You can speak to any of your smart devices Tell them to play Herb Morgan's podcast, Slaying Bulls and Bears, Making the Complex and Complicated Simple and Sensical. Uh, the presentation is designed for use with both investors and financial advisors. Each are expected to make their own investment decisions. Nothing contained in this presentation is investment advice, nor should it be treated as investment advice. There are no recommendations for the purchase or sale of any securities purely for informational purposes only. A, another up week for the most part uh, in equity prices last week. You can see here S&P 500 rose almost 2%. The only down uh, on our list of equity indices was the small cap, S&P small cap 600. So I think the Russell 2000 is another one uh, probably uh, very similar. Year to date, uh, we're in single digit losses across the board on equities. This is the result of all the things we know higher energy prices, supply chain shortages, geopolitical tensions with the Russia invasion and war in Ukraine, rising U.S. interest rates, uh, removal of policy accommodation. But what's interesting here is this is rare, but you see the Barclays Aggregate Bond Index down almost 7% versus the S&P down 4%. So bond investors, strictly in the bond index, the aggregate bond index in this case, actually have done a little worse. High yield bonds have done better than the aggregate bond index. Not the case you would expect if we were moving into a recession. Now, I admit everything here is red. And then the longer dated maturities down more double digits, down 13% in the 20-year plus treasury index. So take a, take a look as I move one more slide down here. And my circles somehow didn't move here, but the circles were on the minus 4.35 and the minus 6.89, how they moved themselves. Uh, they look fine on PowerPoint. Anyway, this reflects several realities. First, the Fed has, was buying up to $120 billion a month of US treasuries and mortgage-backed securities. When the Fed ended that practice, you had the biggest buyer by far leaving the marketplace. It only makes sense, less demand, prices would go down. Prices have gone down, same as saying rates have gone up. Number two, there are higher levels of inflation in the economy. Bonds need, needed to adjust to reflect the reality of higher inflation. Because if inflation is running at 3% and your 10-year bond is paying you 2%, you're losing 1% a year to price uh, purchasing power erosion. Number three, the Fed had previously been very reluctant, or you could say in a state of denial about the severity of the inflationary pressures present in the economy. I don't think they 
They expected an extra inflationary surge from the Russian invasion of the Ukraine, but there were very significant inflationary pressures associated with both the monetary and fiscal policy levers being utilized in the U.S. and abroad. They had talked about it was very transitory, one-year base effects. They are now shifting tone, and Chairman Powell, who was the most dovish, at least in the last week on his little road media tour, became a little more hawkish, saying, hey, we're going to address this, which is good. But also the market thought, well, wow, he's also admitting that uh, the level of inflation is higher than he expected. And I don't think it's gotten out of, out of control or away from him yet at this point. So the question that I got last week from several of you, so I figured I'd put it into the commentary, is how are we positioned with fixed income? Well, as, you, as I mentioned, fixed income is measured by the Barclays Ag. That is our fixed income benchmark. Uh, it's actually done worse than stocks. For the year, we've been overweight stocks and underweight bonds relative to our benchmark weighting. So that's helped performance. We're very happy about that. But then within fixed income, not only are we underweight fixed income, but we've deviated from our benchmark in some of the ways we allocate. First, the big, one of the big losers is the longer dated treasury and agency securities because the Fed is no longer buying them. The, the index is comprised of 73.5%. Barclays Aggregate Bond Index is a capitalization weighted index. And because the US government and its agencies are such massive borrowers, their debt dwarfs the outstanding debt of corporations. Therefore, 73.5% of that index is in U.S. treasuries and agencies. That's been among the, the worst performers, especially the long maturity. We're at 60%, so we're underweight. That's helped us. The average duration of the Barclays Aggregate Bond Index is about six years. We're at about four years, so we're underweight duration. Now, duration is a measurement of how much a, a, a bond would move it, but based on a change in the 10-year U.S. Treasury rate. 10-year U.S. Treasury rate has been going up, so the bonds would be going down. The bigger the number, the more they go down. The lower the number, the less they go down. So again, we're fortunate that we've been positioned really well within fixed income so far this year. So underweight fixed income in general to the benchmark, lower weighting in U.S. Treasury and agency securities, and a shorter average duration has helped our, our performance. For full performance information, go to our website, efficient-portfolios.com, or just log in and look at your own account. Okay, economic data last week. New home sales uh, disappointed, fell 2% to 772,000. That was a little bit below the expectations. Uh, they had fallen in January as well. Why? Higher prices, they are extremely high and much higher than they were even a year ago. Plus, mortgage rates have been rising substantially. That's kept some, some buyers uh, on the sidelines. Anecdotally, spoke to a mortgage broker this week, said they saw three, in his little shop, three cancellations and increasing indications that there's going to be cancellations of purchase contracts because interest rates are going higher, makes payments higher, more difficult to afford and to qualify for loans. Pending home sales also fell, fell 4% on top of a drop in January. They're down 5% from a year ago. Now, part of that reason, of course, is still the very limited inventory, but higher prices, 
higher borrowing costs, reducing the affordability. These natural market forces, by the way, are the opposite of inflation, right? If interest rates start to kick up and prices start to come down, that can actually start to reverse some of the inflationary pressures in the economy. Limited inventory won't do that, but the higher, uh, the, the rising borrowing costs can certainly do that. Initial claims for unemployment fell to 187,000, and that's not a typo, it's the lowest reading for unemployment claims for a week since 1969. Now, the labor market was considerably smaller in 1969. So as a percentage of the labor market, uh, this is the lowest reading we've ever had. Continuing claims also fell to 1.35. That's the lowest level since 1970. Suffice it to say, from an economic perspective, we have a very, very strong labor market. What we're seeing is that wages are going higher and they're going higher at a, at a pace that's faster than that of inflation, which leads to more buying power, which leads to corporate sales, which leads to revenue, which leads to profit, all of those things that make us happy as investors. Durable goods orders for February fell 2%. That's more than was expected after expecting to go, um, after rising in January, you can see over here on the right, getting sort of back to normal where you have these up and down months like we always had. And then as we were just building through just very few down months. The decline this time was led by a 30% drop in orders for commercial aircraft and aircraft are such large ticket items. That's how you get these big up and down uh, bars here. Uh, but it was the first decline in over a year for capital goods. Uh, orders exceeded shipments by the smallest margins since May of 2020, suggesting we are starting to make progress on the supply chain issue. Now the, um, the market manufacturing PMIs were purchased by S&P. So now these are the S&P global PMIs. So just as market had a flash reading and then a final reading, we got the S&P now flash readings for the month of March, rose to 58.5 for manufacturing, expected to be 56.6. So very, very good number. It's the 20th consecutive month of expansion in the manufacturing sector of our economy. And the new order reading, which was a sub-reading, came at the highest level since September. It's really hard to call for a recession when you have new orders at the highest reading uh, in six months, when you have uh, your 20th consecutive month of manufacturing, ex manufacturing expansion and the lowest level of unemployment claims since 1969. On the services side, which is about 85% of the economy, also a big number, 58.9, well ahead of the estimate of 56. Outstanding business rises to 57.9. That's uh, the highest since the series even began. So those were the flash readings. We'll get the final readings here in about a week. But despite that, markets have been soft this year. It's no, no secret. We're down, they're in the red. It's only single digits, not that big a deal. We have an incredibly strong economy with down markets and declining consumer sentiment. So you can be glass half empty on this or half full. There's certainly reason to look at it. There are certainly reasons for concern, but in March, consumer sentiment fell again, 59.4. And sometimes this is a leading indicator to an eventual economic slowdown, not always, but sometimes. Current conditions fell, expectations fell. You guessed it, it's inflation, inflation, inflation is the main culprit to driving consumer sentiment down. We see it with uh, any source of protein, food, and energy. Food and energy, of course, are also the most volatile components of 
prices, CPI, core PCE, et cetera, they tend to have the ability to reverse quickly. We hope that happens. So we're in a very unique situation. I talked to you at the beginning of the presentation a little bit about the fixed income market, the bond market, how we're positioned. I also mentioned we're overweight equity. On the one hand, on the left here is the economy. The economy is very, very strong. It's among the strongest economies as measured by just pure demand for goods and services uh, and the pricing power of companies to deliver those goods and services that I've seen in my career. Wage growth is exceeding inflation, as I mentioned earlier, because we have 11 million job openings and 5 million under or unemployed. Backlog orders relative to very low inventories are very high, suggesting pricing power, margin preservation for big companies. Earnings estimates continue to rise going into earnings season. Companies, for the most part, there's not many S&P companies reporting now. Earnings season begins with the financials here in about two weeks. Um, we expect those to be good. Then we get into some of the technology names and earnings estimates are rising going into this. Even though rates have risen, they're still very low. Liquidity is very ample in the economy. Credit spreads, the difference between corporate bond yields and 10-year treasury yields, for example, are very healthy and they're all conducive to a strong economic environment and growth and earnings and profits. But why is the market behaving poorly? Well, the market's adjusting. Uh, we had on March 14th, we had a very difficult technical situation called the death cross. And the 50-day crosses below the 200-day moving average and the market price is below that. But we quickly rebounded. And now the market price is above the 50 and the 50 is above the 200, literally in just two weeks. People are rightfully concerned about higher oil and commodity prices, wondering whether or not higher oil prices could lead, are an energy price shock, which could lead to a recession. We talked about that last week. We don't think energy is as significant a component of our economy as it was 25 or 30 years ago, less likely to cause recession or slowdown. Further, I think we're kind of topped out at around $100 a barrel for oil. Geopolitical risks deliver uncertainty to the market, which causes markets to go down a little bit, i.e. Russia invading the Ukraine. All at the same time, we have a, a very significant lack of labor and a Federal Reserve that's gotten behind the curve of inflation and needs to raise rates. And we all remember when Paul Volcker raised rates in the 1980s, they had to do it. They had to literally engineer a recession to break the back of inflation. Doesn't look like that to me this time. But I think these are the reasons explains why the market is sort of decoupling from the strength of the economy for this brief period. What does all this mean? I think what it means is uh, after several years of great returns that we end this year probably with very modest returns. So what should an investor be doing in anything? If anything, nothing. We're doing it for you, right? Uh, we, we think that um, we don't want to be underweight equities because they are the only game in town. We do want to be underweight fixed income, but we wouldn't be at all surprised if after having a big 2021 and a 2020, we had mid single digit returns. We'd actually be happy with those in 21 with heightened volatility, heightened movements up and down, opportunities for us to do things like tax ticker swap, selling tax loss harvesting throughout the year, maybe make a few tactical moves and adjustments or rebalances off cycle. Those are the kind of things we're going to be able to do. 
I think we need to resolve where we are with inflation, uh, where we are with rising prices, where we are with the supply chain, where we are with commodities, the geopolitical uncertainties around Russia and Ukraine have to be uh, uh, taken care of as well. Okay, so no major economic data Monday. Plenty of stuff throughout the week. We got the JOLTS report tomorrow on Tuesday along with a bunch of consumer and housing data. We got the jobs from ADP on Wednesday. Uh, fourth quarter GDP revision expected to go up a tenth of a percent on Wednesday as well. Personal income spending, jobless claims, core or PCE, the Fed's measurement of uh, inflation on Thursday, very important. Then the big dog, the, AD, the Bureau of Labor Statistics jobs report on Friday, unemployment down at 3.7. Um, we've got the final on um, S&P, I keep saying market, S&P global manufacturing, that'll come on Friday. Then we have ISM manufacturing on Friday, both expect to be good, vehicle sales, Expecting to see a little progress there. We got progress last month and some of this, the chip supply chain issues are starting to get um, move in the right direction towards resolution. Don't forget to catch us on the podcast. Thank you for tuning in. I will be back to you again next week. Thank you for listening to Slaying Bulls and Bears. If you'd like to download the slides for this week's podcast, go to www.efficient-portfolios.com and join our mailing list. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, rate us online, and share with a friend if you found this helpful. See you next week.